dive into this one, this is what this psalm is. It is a, um, I get up in the morning, I look around, and things are tumultuous, right? I look around, and the waters are choppy, and it's a scary time, and I don't know where I'm going, and I don't know what happens next, but I'm going to trust God. Um, and so as we get into this, uh, a couple of real quick things. The Psalms are a difficult thing because they tend to be intellectual and emotional at the same time. They are songs. This particular song, um, it's a, attributed to David, but it's kind of questionable whether or not David wrote it or if it was edited later. There's kind of some big question marks because it mentions the temple and there was no temple during David's lifetime. Um, and so, you know, we're not exactly sure what the story is. There is an imprecatory line in this. Okay, imprecatory is a big word that means I am angry at you and I'm going to talk to God about kicking your butt. Got it? Um, And that is, there's a line in this one. There are a few psalms that are like that, that are just like all about, God, you know who your enemies are, go get them. And and there's a line like that in this, and and we're going to talk about it when we get there. Um, But it's a little tougher to read those psalms because you've got to figure out what to do with it. Um, and, and lastly, there is a huge chunk of this psalm that is about God's attributes, right? Everybody has attributes, right? My, my wife, I'll use her as my example. My wife is, is, is very pretty, and she's very strong-willed, and she is um, very patient sometimes. And, and, like, these are things that are about her, like what her personality is. And sometimes they're conflicting, um, God's attributes play a huge part in this. Um, for example, God is loving. We all know that, right? That's something John tells us. God is love. Um, God is also holy. God's holiness is his dominant primary attribute. And what that means is he's set apart. Um, the, the, like, like not to be um, associated with things that, that, are, you know, that are unclean. He is, he is wholly different from holy with a W, not H-O-L-Y, um, homophone. Um, he is wholly different from the creation, meaning anything that's fallen or temporary is very different from him. And that is a huge part of this. And so those are all going to come into tension as we work our way through this one. That is a huge you know, topic that we'll get into here in a second. Um, all right, so Psalm 5, 1 to 2, um, for the director of music for pipes, uh, a psalm of David. Now, for pipes, just kind of an interesting thing. The word translated pipes there, that's a guess. Um, the guess is that you play flutes with this song. Got it? It is not a, it's not a Jeremy electric guitar rocking song. Um, it is a playing flute song. Um, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Um, and so right out of the gate, David is calling out to God with a lament, with a, you know, hear my... Hear what I'm saying, God. Hear my sorrow. Hear my pain. Hear what is going on with me. This is a man who is he's lost, right? And he, he is in this spot where everything looks wrong, and he doesn't know what he's going to do. That is where he is at. Hear my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you I pray. Now, real quick before we go further, lament there. The word lament, um, that's the way that the ESV translator or the NIV translator decided to, to translate this. The word itself, um, did, you ever, um, did you ever get to the point where you were thinking through something very intensely and it was a very emotional thing and you found yourself kind of grumbling to yourself or talking to yourself like in a way that people can hear you but you know they can't exactly hear what you're saying? That's, that's kind of murmur or mutter is another way to say that. Um, 
David is praying in a way that is like heavy-hearted. And he's, he's praying in a way that isn't just straight-up silent prayer. It is, it is he's grumbling, and he is, he's talking audibly. Like he is, he is, it's a very intense phrase. And he's saying, God, hear like just my groaning. Hear my, my crying out to you, uh, my cry for help. Um, my king and my God. Now watch this. Um, for an ancient king, right, for an ancient king to address um, somebody else's king, that means he is the king of this king. Got it? Like, it's a huge statement. Like, he is acknowledging God is above me. In the ancient uh, Middle East, so like that fertile crescent is what they call it, um, kings were not considered to be divine. Kings were appointed by the divine. And so there's sort of a feed of that in this, like where my king and my God, meaning you put me here, you are in charge, I belong to you, and for to you, I, you know, to you I pray. Uh, meaning like you are my only hope, you are what I have. Um, so going forward, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Um, this morning when I was in the kitchen talking to, um, I think I was, I was talking to Callan, um, my daughter came up and said, Dad, can I have a donut and some hot chocolate? And my response was, go ask, <laughs> go ask your mother. And then two minutes later, my son came up and said, Dad, may I have some hot chocolate and a donut? And I said, go ask your, go ask your mother. Um, and then my daughter came back a little while later and said, Dad, Mom said I could have some hot chocolate. And I said, go ask your mom to make it for you. Um, this is the opposite of what is being talked about here, right? Like God is a good, good father, whereas I am a mediocre at best father. Um, <laughs> he, he comes to God and he says, God, I'm here. I know you hear me, Right. I know you hear what I'm asking for. I know you're hearing my request. And having made my request, I'm going to wait. And I know you're going to take care of me. Right? I know you're hearing me. I know it's going to draw you into action. Um, to wait expectantly is, is a powerful thing. I mean, I, it's hard to put this, you know. There, there have been times in my life where I've prayed for things and I've said, I am praying for this, but I'm pretty sure God ain't doing nothing to help me. Anybody ever been there? I, you know, it, it just is what it is. Um, this is a man who is coming to God and saying, I'm waiting. I, I expect it. I know you're going to answer my prayer. I know you're going to take care of me. Um, so we're going to start in on, by the way, that's a part of God's attributes, that God is faithful and God takes care of his own. Um, four to six, for you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. Um, in fact, quite the opposite is true. If God is holy, right, um, Wickedness, like, is something that God detests. It's something that, that God is, is fundamentally opposed to, right? Like, like we, we understand God's holiness to be like a burning fire, meaning, like, if something is imperfect and it comes into his presence, it's consumed by his holiness. Um, that's why when, in, if you read the Exodus, there are stories of God's presence on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and people were told, hey, if you go up there, you'll... You'll die. That's why they died, because you can't go into the holy presence of God. Um, the Ten Commandments, the original Ten Commandments, um, were, were stone tablets, and they were smashed, and they were, the, like, Moses smashed them in anger. 
and, and they were put in the Ark of the Covenant. And there's a scene in, in um, Kings, if I'm not mistaken, where the Ark of the Covenant is in a town, and the people said, hey, let's open this thing and have a look. And, and the ark, like the top of the ark was an altar. And you would pour out the blood of sacrifice. That's where God's mercy was. And beneath that is God's commandments. Like inside it is God's commandments. And having removed God's mercy, they stood before God's commands and everybody died. Like 5,000 people died that day. I, if I'm, that's off the cuff. I'm not completely, please don't quote that number for me. Um, <laughs> but the idea is like, like to say that God is not pleased with wickedness is an understatement, Right? God is super not pleased with wickedness. God is, God is like, despises wickedness. It's, it's, it's something that is disgusting. It's abhorrent to him. With you, evil people are not welcome. The word there, not welcome, um, is like a sojourner, right? Like, or somebody who's traveling and passing through. Like, they're not even able to, like, be in his presence momentarily. They're not even able to, like, pass by. It is a, you know, it can't be. God cannot allow this, like, un- unholiness or wickedness to be in his presence. And so David, like, he's saying, God, I am dying here. Hear my prayer. I know you're going to take care of me because I know you, you are not cool with evil. And I know that people who are wicked and have w- wicked intent, they come into your presence and they are, they're, they're not even able to stand in your presence. You cannot, they cannot be in your presence. They can't be near you. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence um, there's a line in Peter for God, what is it, uh, gives grace to the humble, right? He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. It's a quote from Proverbs. Um, the idea here is that people who understand, like, like, that God is God and we're his creation, that we belong to him, that we survive based on his will, that we exist based on his sustaining, that we are, are his people and designed to glorify him, like, that, that's what we're designed to be. If we stand on the other end of that and believe too much of ourselves or brag too much of ourselves or speak too much of ourselves, like, we can't even stand in his presence. God doesn't honor that. He, he won't honor it. Um, you hate all who do wrong, and you destroy those who tell lies. Now, I spent about three hours researching this verse right here. This is five. Um, because that is a tough line. You hate all who do wrong. Um, and we, we understand God loves, right? God is a loving God. Um, and I think there's a tension there, right? There's a line in uh, Paul where Paul talks about how when we were God's enemies, right? When we were still in our sin, Christ came to die for us. That's how we know what love is. When we, when we are most opposed and most enemy to God, God sent his son to die for us. And I think that's the tension here. Like, People who make it their way to do evil, like, are God's enemies. Um, I, uh, golly, the, there are folks out there who do horrible things. We live in a very fallen and broken world. There are people who, who you know, still pass slaves around. There are people who still own other people. There are people who um, take advantage of children and, and abuse them. There are people who um, oppress the poor and the weak and steal from them. Like these are people that, that are at the core of who they are. They're enemies of God. And by everything they do, they're enemies of God. Um, and, and to pretend, oh, God is cool with what's going on over there is, is not accurate. Um, does that mean that God doesn't love them? No. But it doesn't mean that people can be an enemy of God. It's, I mean, it's just the truth. Um, 
it's kind of an odd thing about who God is. God is able to be holy and be merciful. God is able to be pure and righteous and to forgive and love broken, filthy people. Um, it's an amazing thing. Actually, it's a wonderful thing because I don't know about you guys. I benefit from that greatly. <laughs> the blood, or excuse me, you destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful you, Lord, detest. Um, there's a degree to which David is praying against these people, right? He is stopping and saying, God, you know who these people are. Go get them, right? These people are my enemies. These people are opposing me. They're opposing your work. They're opposing, get them. That's a hard thing to think. It's a hard thing to pray. Does that mean we're supposed to hate people? I don't think so. Does it mean that sometimes we can, we can pray for justice to be served? I think so. Um, but that's a hard balance. I know I've met folks who, you know, they steep themselves in anger and hate toward the people around them, and that's not biblical. It's not what we're called to be. But we're also called to, like, you know, over and over again point to God's love and his mercy and his justice. Um, we're, we're called to advance his gospel. We're called to advance his way, um, not, to, not to condone or not to let things go. Um, so you, you hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest, meaning people who are killers, people who are constantly lying, people who are in this spot like, like God, you detest these people. Um, he jumps into a contrast here, having said, look, these folks over here, they, they're bloodthirsty. They desire to kill. They tell lies. This is who they are. And you, Lord, you hate those guys. But, but I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your temple. So the temple wasn't built until Solomon was there. And so this is probably a touch later than David, or it's been edited later. It's hard to say what happened. Um, but the important thing to draw out of this is, listen, God, I know, I know you love me, and I know I can be before you. I can stand before you because you are loving, because you are full of grace. Um, I can bow down toward your holy temple, like, because you take care of me, and I revere that. I respect it. I'm, you know, brought low before it. Now, watch this. There is a cool little Jesus thing built into this. By your great love, can I come into your house? So evil, sin, imperfection cannot stand before God, right? Like people who are soaked in sin, we don't walk into God's presence because, because we can't. Um, but because God sends his son, because Jesus died for us, because Jesus died for you, he died for me, he died for, for actually for the wicked people who are out there doing wicked things, like Jesus shed his blood for all of those folks, because this happened, I can walk into his presence. I can... Um, stand before God. Actually, Paul said that, that when we pray, like as people who are saved, we can step into God's presence boldly and like, and like pray to God. Like we can step before God, like not destroyed, but, and not because we're good, but because when Jesus dies and takes punishment for our sins, we're covered and he looks at us and he sees Jesus' righteousness the same way that he saw our wickedness on Christ at the, at the cross. Like we are made new 
like in Christ. And that is wonderful. God is loving and merciful. And actually that applies to everyone. It applies to the, the folks who are bloodthirsty. Like if they'd repent and turn, like they're able to be saved. And our desire is that people would be saved and that people would repent and that people would turn, but also that they wouldn't continue in their wickedness. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Now watch this. Lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. We live in a confusing time. Everybody with me? This is true, right? Where there are strong, conflicting statements. Where there are difficult moral choices that we make. And in this difficult, miserable time... Um, the psalm is saying, listen, God, just make it obvious what I'm supposed to do because it's not always obvious, right? Help me to know the right thing to do because, honestly, everything looks crooked. Um, give me wisdom to stand in the right place and walk the right way because, honestly, I'm looking around me and I don't even always know. Um, I, I read a great book a couple of years ago, um, and it was a great book until the last, like, three chapters where, like, the majority of the book was fantastic, and then the last, like, three chapters were, like, straight-up heresy. <laughs> like, like, a huge turn. And I, I remember thinking, man, this whole book was great until the very end, and had I not, like, read it with a great deal of discernment, like, this would have been very deceiving. Like, that's the world we live in. Like, we're, we're constantly bombarded with sugar-coated poison apples, Right? Where, where they're there and they seem right and they seem good and it seems like the right direction, but there's a great deal of like deceit set before us. There's a great deal of wickedness set before us. I, I know folks who hate, actually I know folks who viciously, angrily hate um, other folks because of, because of their background, because of their, their um, nation, because of their heritage, because of their... Um, um, political beliefs or what have you. Like, I mean, they, they get set in their head that these people are evil no matter what. That's crazy. Like, it's crazy. It, it, but, like, like, we can start out in the right direction opposing evil and reach evil on our own hating people or reach evil on our own, like, like mistreating the folks around us or abusing the folks around us or offending God by, by acting in contrast to what Christ taught because we think we're doing the right thing. And it's a very confusing time because of that. Um, it's a very difficult time. And so David's cry is, God, make it obvious what I'm supposed to do because I ain't quite sure. That's wandering in the cornfields, right? Show me the right path because I don't know how to get back where I'm going. You know, help me to get where I'm supposed to be and help me to not be in too much trouble when I get there. This is the best part of the whole psalm, right? Not a word from their mouths can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave and their tongues, with their tongues they tell lies. All right, so now, if you were to go walking in the cemetery on the edge of town and there was an open grave, you would fall into a big hole. Everybody got it? And that's about it. Right, like we we associate it with like that bad horror movie scene where the guy's coming running away from the bad guy and he falls in a hole and there's a gravestone at the top and you know whatever. In the ancient world in Israel, they didn't dig graves quite like that because it's like all mountainous and rocks and you, you know it's really hard to dig. And so you would have a tomb that was a cave or a hole cut in a in the wall of a you know mountain and then a little chamber. And what they would do is when they would bury a body, they would 
prepared as best they could so it didn't stink too bad. They would put it on a slab inside of the cave. They would throw a big rock in front of it, and they'd walk away. And the reason they would do that is because bodies rot, right? They don't really rot the same way now. They, we embalm them like they, they're preserved to a degree. But like, like back then, you would walk by, and if you left a grave open, oh, it was gross, Right? Like human bodies, as I understand it, are one of the foulest things in the whole world once they get going. I mean, they stink and they rot. And what they would do is they would leave that grave closed for a year, a year, and they'd come back and they'd roll the stone away and they'd take your bones and they'd put them in a box called an ossuary and they'd have basements that they'd stack up all these ossuaries in and you would have, like, that would be your final resting place. The tomb, the grave, was just a place they put you so that you could decompose you enough so they could put you in a proper grave and bury you. So if you walk by an open grave in the ancient world, it was not a hole you fell in. It was a nasty thing to encounter. Now, put this in perspective. If their mouths are an open grave, that means everything that comes out of their mouth stinks. Everything that comes out of their mouth makes you unclean. Now, unclean in the ancient world meant you are not acceptable to stand before God. You would have to be cleansed before you could come into God's presence. Everything that comes out of their mouth could make you sick and kill you. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point, especially at me. Um, anybody turn the TV on and hear someone like that occasionally? Anybody ever turn on the radio and hear? I mean, we are, again, we're living in a time where people are angry. Everyone. And there's so much anger and hatred and vitriol and, and viciousness and lies and misery being spread. And I'm not talking about one person or another. If you think, oh, Eric's talking about so-and-so. I'm not. I'm actually talking about everyone. Like, we live in a time where, where lies are told about just about everything. If you do this, you'll be happy. Um, I almost can hear Satan saying, did God really say that you shouldn't do this? Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? And because that's where we're at. Like, oh yeah, this is wicked, but are you sure it's wicked? Did God really say? Doesn't this make more sense? Or surely this is okay because David talks about these evil people. He says, listen, these guys, they're so full of hate and they're so full of selfishness and anger that everything that comes out of their mouth makes you dirty. Everything that comes out of their mouth makes you sick. That if you decide to stay there and listen to it and fill yourself up with it, it puts you in danger of dying. No wonder David's like, hey, make my path straight, <laughs> right? These are the guys on the side of the road while you're wandering around on your run lost in the cornfields. And they're like, hey, you know, you could go that way and go home, but wouldn't this be a better path? Wouldn't this be a better direction to go in? Wouldn't this be more fun? Wouldn't this be easier? That's downhill. Downhill's an easy run, right? Hey, wouldn't hating your neighbor work? Wouldn't stealing just a little bit work? Wouldn't looking at those fun pages on the Internet work just a little while? In reality, it's all rot. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. I, uh, yesterday I was, I was out on the, out on the river paddling and I, I was in the wrong type of kayak for the trip I was taking. I was in a flat bottom kayak and every time I would catch a good stiff breeze, my boat would go sideways or backward. There was one point in time when I was paddling and literally going backward 
because I couldn't overcome the run of the wind and the and the current and all that. I mean, it was just, it was miserable. And I, I stopped at one point and I thought, well, I I'm going to give up and just sit here and wait for the current to take me where I'm going. I'll just sit and do nothing. And I, in my head, I had this recollection of something I've said to several people recently and over the years. I said, well, you know what? You're stuck in this situation. You can sit here forever. Or you can get yourself out of it. But sitting here forever ain't going to solve the problem. Oh, my gosh. Stupid Eric. This stupid advice. I picked up my paddle and I paddled. When your own advice trips you up, right? But it was good advice, I would say, and it was a good direction. In reality, like if people fill themselves with enough hate and they pick out enough wickedness to like dump out, that will become their downfall, right? Like evil people will eventually destroy themselves is the argument. People who do wicked things will eventually trip themselves up. Um, And that's what... What David's praying for here, the psalmist is praying for here, God, call them guilty. Let their own plans, their own wickedness, their own evil be the thing that destroys them. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. This is imprecatory again. He's like, God, chase them off. Get rid of them because they're attacking you. Like, don't put up with this. You know, are we supposed to pray this way? I think there's a case to be made for some of this, but you're talking about extreme stuff. I think it's okay to say, Lord, please stop Hitler, right? We're all fair with that. Lord, please stop Stalin. Lord, Lord, please stop these folks who are, you know, enslaving people, you know, in, in, as I was reading about Boko Haram this week, I read an article about them. They're still a thing, I guess. And, And Lord, take these people and stop them. You know, help them to find you, help them to meet Jesus, help them to repent, but Lord, stop them. I think that's what David's doing here. Um, it's probably not okay to do it in relation to so-and-so said something mean to me. Please kill them. Not what he's doing, right? So-and-so makes my work day miserable. Please let them get hit by a car. You know, that's not what David's doing here, right? Like that would be the opposite. Um, but it is acceptable to, you know, I think that's what he's praying for. I think that's what we're seeing here. Um, last two verses here. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Now watch this. I think this is the, the, the whole point of it. This is the party part, Right? Let all who take refuge refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love you may rejoice, love your name, may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you will bless the righteous. You will surround them with your favor as with a shield. Now watch this. Everyone who takes refuge in God will be glad. People who, you know, are with you sing for joy, like forever and ever. Protect them. by Spread your protection over them. Like the, the word phrase, the phrase there is like a, like a bird covering her, her babies with her wing, right? Like, God, protect the people who are yours. Take care of them and fill them with joy because they know you belong to them. Um, which is kind of the cool thing about following Jesus. Like, we belong to Jesus. No matter how bad I screw up, no matter how lost I get, no matter how anybody else persecutes me or trips me up or attacks me or, or hates me, I belong to God. Like, and you can't even separate me, right? For I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor powers or principalities or anything in heaven or on earth can se- separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Like, what he's saying here is God draw us in and protect us and help us to know we belong to you. Um, I, I, this makes me think of Stephen. Um, 
when they dragged him out and they're about to kill him. They're about to stone him to death. And he looks up and he sees God in heaven and he starts talking about Jesus again. I see him sitting at the right hand of God. And in joy, he's stoned. Um, I, I've read about martyrs uh, under Nero who would who sang praise to God while they burned, like tied to the stake and on fire, and they sang praise to God. Like, like that's what David's talking about here. Like, in all of it, Lord, help us to be rejoiced. Help us to be filled with joy. Help us to look to you in all of the difficulty and misery and confusion and lostness and everything else. We belong to you. And surely you bless the righteous. You surround them with favor as a shield, meaning you take care of us, God. We know you take care of us. We know you've got this. Um, one of the things I've always wanted to be is a, the kind of husband that if, if I tell my wife, I will take care of this, it, it'll get taken care of. You know, and she knows she doesn't have to worry about it. I'm not there yet, but I do one day hope to be. Like, this is who God is. God says, I got this, and he's got it. I'll take care of you, and he takes care of it. The bills will get paid, and they get paid. God, watch out for me, and he watches out for me. Save this person, and he saves them. My uh, challenge to you, my encouragement as we finish this up, is to come to these two verses. In all of it, we look around, we look at evil people, we look at brokenness in the world, we people, look at people who are oppressing and who are evil and who are taking advantage of and who are misleading and lying and, and everything else. We look at all of this ugliness and we realize that, that God's in control, that God is going to save us, that God is not letting this stuff just go, that he's watching it and he protects us, that we can take joy in the fact that we are protected. May all fall apart in the end, but he's got us. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll, I'll let you all go. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would help us to, to rely on you, to lean on you, to look to you, Lord. I know that there, there are wicked folks in the world, that there are wicked folks all around us, Lord, and I pray that you would keep us safe and protect us. Um, I pray that you would give us your grace um, just over and over again, time and again, Lord. Um, Father, you know our hearts. You know what weighs on us. You know what makes us angry, what makes us frustrated. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us peace and help us to see a straight path in front of us, Lord, that we wouldn't fall into, fall into mindless rage or that we wouldn't fall into the wickedness or, or, come, or succumb to the lies of others, Lord. Help us to focus on you and, and just come back to you every day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a good morning, folks.